Waitman over his head. Cody Waitman's kicked a miracle goal. Looking for Vandermeer. He can go all the way. Straight man to hit the front. For 10 goals, they call him Bruce. Bruce. Can score towards goal. Bailey Smith as he got the dots in on the final. Bontempelli to seal the game. He's got it. Welcome to the Salty Bulldog, the podcast that is just very slowly, very cautiously starting to find a little spring in its step once again. My name is Matthew Donald, your regular host of the Salty Bulldog. Now, I'm sure you know my voice by now. The other voice you'll know, of course, is that of Nick Galea. Before I introduce Nick, though, I just want to make sure, of course, that you're across where you can access the Salty Bulldog podcast throughout the year. You can do so through Spotify and through Apple Podcasts and the Footy Live at Vice Sportsmate as well. Download that app from the App Store or Google Play, and then you'll be able to search for the Salty Bulldog podcast through the podcasts tab. And there's our social media channels as well. Get in contact with us if you would like to on Twitter at the Salty Bulldog, Facebook and Instagram and our website as well, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. Nick, I welcome you to the program. First time this year that um, the the Bulldogs have won back-to-back games. Feels like things are finally starting to, to to come together now. Let's let's try to pump it up. A couple of weeks ago, I think you and I were pretty livid, uh, justifiably at the same time, but probably you know maybe with our expectations still pretty high. But um, so let's have a look now. Five and five. That's five and three. The past eight rounds. Not that it's been convincing by any you know, way, shape or form, but still, you know, at least from the first two matches of the season, the record is at least in a positive ledger from five and three. Uh, that was a pretty fun game to watch, even if it did infuriate me at times. I, I did not mind that contest at all. It's probably maybe what we might have needed to still keep us on our toes, I think, as a team, that sides, of course, even those that are on, on, on the improve, aren't always going to throw in the towel. And... It would have been nice had we been able to kill off the game a lot sooner, you know, of course, with the good old typical goal-kicking side of things. But in a general style of play, I was actually pretty pleased for the most part with how we, you know, how we used the ball and how we actually presented up and down the grounds as, as well as structurally. I was, I was very, very content, at least, with what was there. Doesn't mean it's going to be enough to, you know, to be able to beat certain other teams up the you know, top end of the ladder. Probably not at this point, but, you know, for us to uh, be able to get a couple more wins under the belts with still certain key personnel out, it's still a good win. It's about now getting that personnel or that extra talent on the sidelines back into the side, and then we'll be able to see just where we're really at. I think it's worth noting that in the past, Gold Coast have been one of those sides that historically we've struggled to shake. They've always been a side that's, really been able to hang in there. And I'm not sure whether that's down to the venue or not. Besides Docklands, isn't it? Every other every other place bar Docklands, it has been a very interesting game. A lot of the time, hasn't it? Yeah. But at the same time, this is a different Gold Coast side to ones that we face in in recent years. This is a this is a much better Gold Coast side. This is a sun side that's actually within a shout of playing finals, I would think. Certainly I think we get we get to the last month of the season. And they're going to be they're going to be in and around that sort of seventh eighth spot. They're going to be one of those teams that are still in the mix, I reckon. I mean, they they come they came off some excellent wins. They beat Sydney at the SCG, 
and they beat Fremantle as well in the fortnight before they've they've played us. Now you could say what you want about those those two sides now, given their their recent run of form, but at the time they were really really impressive victories. Mm, that was uh, at the time Freo was still seven and two. Freo had just or seven and one. I don't even know, but they just beat in Geelong as well. Yeah, you know at the Cattery. So you know you're going to maybe have a going from a high, you know as high as highs like that. You might get another low the week after, but still you know. It's, it's caliber opposition that they've been able to vanquish. Yeah. And from what the Suns have been able to do in those past couple of weeks, they, they are good wins. And the way that they were against us was probably a bit more opportunistic. But the way that they played still suggested that there's enough to, to work with. And, you know, generally with us, we get a lot of in, you know, inside 50s anyhow. Uh, even on our worst days, we should still probably, you know, touch up 45 entries. Uh, we pulled up, what, 58 or so on the weekend. But here's a... Is probably an interesting figure here, which I didn't mind considering what was going on down back. We noticed that a lot of Gold Coast goals were pretty opportunistic, weren't they, for the most part? Yes. Yeah, yeah. There were there were at there least there were at least three that that come to mind now that um, that I can think of that that would fall under that category. Yeah, there weren't too much uh, from you know a version of structure that you would you know agree upon in that sense, but. I think the Suns had about, what, 50, I think it was 56 entries. And I'm just trying to get some numbers up here for them because generally we don't, you know, concede that many entries in a game itself. Uh, what do we have? 23 shots, 56 entries conceded. Uh, how many marks inside 50s did they have? I'm trying to find that. We restricted them to nine. Nine and, marks inside 50, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good for, for us anyways. And considering... Not that the tall timber that they've got is, you know, world beating because obviously Ben King would help a lot in that department. But considering the way that they scored wasn't probably reliant on, say, marks inside 50. And we're only able to, what was it, 13 goals from 56. So what's that? It's the tick under or tick over 20%, which is, again, below AFL average. About, I think about four, anywhere between four and 6% there. So that's still pretty good. I'd take that. So I let's think. have and a. It says that we're not copying it by those structures. Sorry, Matt. Um, no, it's right. So it's, it just says that we need to probably just be a bit more better at ground level, like, you know, the absence of Jure, no doubt hurts, and a couple of other lockdown or specific small lockdown defenders. That would have been pretty nice. I've got to I'll ask you a question on that a bit later, though. But it's just more for the idea of do we need more a lockdown defender or an actual key defender, per se? But we'll push on to that a bit later. Yeah, no, no doubt, because I think we've discussed that at times during the year, and I would like to revisit that. Let's get the, the raw numbers out of the way, as we do every week to start things. So 15, 16, 106 to 13, 987. You spoke about the goal kicking. I'm just going to double check it here, but I'm pretty sure after half time it was nine goals, four for the Bulldogs. Yeah, nine goals. We were yeah, 6, 12 at half time, and we kicked uh, nine goals, four after half time. We kicked five goals, Ooh. one in the last quarter. So you spoke about that inaccurate goal kicking, but when it really mattered, they were able to make the most of their opportunities. Uh, chief among those, Aaron Norton and Marcus Bontempelli, each kicking three goals. Well, there's a lot we can talk about with Aaron Norton a little later on. McNeil, Bailey Williams, and Robbie McComb. McComb? McComb? I don't know. There's three different ways of saying that name, depending on who you um, ask. I think for you, actually, I still like how the heck you used to really enjoy Pete Hanscom and go combs for hands or whatever combs it was. For hands, yeah. I don't quite there do that with, with uh, McComb. He's an icon, McComb. Two goals for the, the three of those, McNeil, Williams, and McComb. Dunkley, Trelaw in his 200th game, and Bailey Smith right on the siren, kicking that one from outside 50, which I believe we've seen that goal before from him. 
Uh, McRae and Smith each getting 34 disposals. Trelaw with 26. Blonton Pelly 24. Dale 23. Dunkley and Liberatory 22. And, and Ed Richards 20 disposals and a club record or equal club record eight intercept marks. He, I say three votes. Someone, I say give them all. Give, give them all six votes actually for the weekend. That's what should be done. So I was I was working on this game at the weekend and the the team that were on air didn't have Ed Richards in the votes, which was interesting. interesting. I'm, just, I'm just trying to I'm just trying to remember who they they did have in the votes. I think they had uh, I think uh, Joel Jeffrey won uh, one vote in their Player of the Year count, and he won three votes in the Magic Door Medal as well. Joel Jeffrey, so congratulations well, to him. I'll I'll say this in regards to Joel Jeffrey. Um, unfortunately, there was a particular family tragedy early in the week for him. So yeah. In regards to that sort of thing, that's fantastic to see, you know, that version of honour because I'm pretty sure he did kiss the armband, didn't he, after the first or second goal after, or was it just before quarter time? So on those side of things, it is very touching. Um, On a football sense, what is it with us allowing second or third or fifth gamers to tear us an absolute new one when they've (laughs) done nothing in their career to date? But uh, look, in terms of on a personal note, um, good on him in that sense. It would have been a very challenging week for him. Great personally, frustrating professionally. Maybe we'll just put it down to to that. I forgot where I was going with uh, with. Oh yeah, no, that's right. And I think it was either McCray or, or Bailey Smith got the two votes, and Bontepelli got the three votes uh, from the from the commentary team. I I was a little disappointed. I thought Ed Richards might might get in there. I thought he was the best player on the ground. Ed Richards. I thought Bontepelli was excellent when we needed him, but I, I thought across the four quarters, Ed, Ed Richards was the the best player on the ground. I think we're getting closer to, it's been a little while, but we're getting a bit closer to seeing what we'd expect from the bond. He, what did he do? He let our particular player rating points. I think it was good old champion data and all those other things. Where's mm-hmm. he gone? He's listed at just a tuck under, just a tick under 24. So 23.8 player ratings points. We had Ed Richards in second place, 18.2. So this is those, um, what is it? How do they work it out? Those particular points that they give out uh, each match and their position on the AFL rating system is based upon their most recent 40 games. So a rolling 40 match uh, thread. Uh, who else have we got there? We've got uh, Bailey Smith and Aaron Norton in third and fourth, respectively, 16.4 and 15.3. McCray, 13.7. And very pleasingly, in a nice return to form, one Bailey Williams. 13.3. It, it was. It's a pretty good, pretty good day at the office for him. It was very, very good, actually. Wasn't and it? Just, and just with the coaches' votes as well, because we've we've got those. Bailey Smith got eight votes. Ed Richards, six. Bontempelli, five. McRae, three. Bailey Williams, two. And Aaron Norton with the one uh, vote as oh. well. So th- there are a catalogue of different ways that we can branch off from here in terms of what we want to talk about first. Was there any anything any particular area or place that you wanted to start, Nick? That's very interesting points, actually. Uh, where are we now? I want to probably maybe fixate a touch on this. This is a very, very pleasing yet strangely concerning, I think, at the same time. Let's hear uh, it. Let's have a look. All right, so going on via the, the methods of scoring. Okay, no doubt. Now, if I bring up... This bit of information here. So stoppages, 
which equates to, of course, center bounces, and then you know around the grounds or whatever it is, and then there's throw-ins, and then there's ball-ups, and there's turnovers, and as well as kick-ins. These are the ways that you know teams can contribute on the scoreboard. We kick sixty points from stoppages, which is freaking incredible. I tell you, that's, that's a lot. That is a loss. You know, that's that's just about nuts. Okay. Usually you're doing quite well if you're getting five goals from stoppages. Okay. If you're getting four goals from stoppages, that's because most of the time any any uh, in this day and age, majority of it will of course either come from the turnover. Uh, last year we were going at about uh, what 50, 55, anywhere between 55 and 60 points, the best in the comp for, for scores from turnovers. So to see that effectively come via stoppages in this sense says that we can you know, with a little bit more fine shooting to go, I'm happy to almost admit the midfield looks to be back, which is very, very pleasing and a warning sign for the competition there, especially when they're, you know, contributing on the scoreboard in that fashion. So yeah, let's try to break it down further a bit more. Only a couple of goals via those centre bounces, but, you know, you're not going to get many of those. Uh, scores from throw-ins and ball-ups around the ground, that's pretty impressive, okay? especially from... Um, from the throw and so potentially, you know, in the pockets or around there, it says that the scoring chain around the ground is starting to open up and that they've been able to, to maneuver the ball through different portions of the grounds, not with ease, but they're probably able to break through certain zones. If you're getting it from a stoppage, you know, uh, like, like a throw in, you know, going to generally be hemmed in along the wing or something, aren't you? So to be able to break down those particular defensive structures and have it succeed and convert it into goals is, is literally gold. Uh, the negatives, uh, conceding 6-6 six, six from stoppages conversely on the Suns. So it says that as aggressive as we were, defensively that part of it was lacking and we were hurt on the scoreboard in that fashion. And you don't want to be conceding six or so goals from stoppages. Um, I'm not going to recite that particular game properly, but there is one match in recent memory where we got absolutely annihilated by stoppages. Yep. And... I think we both know which match we're probably talking about here. I think all our listeners might have an idea as well. Yeah. Um, I'd forgotten what exactly, but it was somewhere around along the lines of like, again, similar to the, the eight or nine or 10 goals came by that source. So yeah. that's pretty cooked. Um, yeah. So that's one thing that's got to be rectified. The defensive setups. It did. It is interesting though, that I think that that's actually probably pretty, I just thought about it right now. Maybe it's come by actually having a ruckman that they know that they can try to back themselves to win the ball, not set up purely defensively, which means their point. mindset be more, means their mindset is more aggressive at ball hunting than ball watching, and that might allow you know other teams to be able to open up certain things. I hadn't thought about that until literally just fifteen seconds ago. Well, so there's, maybe, a, there's another flow and effect of Jordan Sweet right there. Your benefits well, and there's a couple of issues, but yeah. Well, let's talk about uh, Sweet's performance then because we thought he was very good against uh, against Collingwood, against Cameron and, and Big, but we did... And Cameron was very good, yes, uh, on Sunday. Sunday. But we did... Uh, against Darcy. Darcy and such. It was very we did, good, actually. But it was the, there was the caveat of, well, his opposition is not overly experienced and overly talented. So we said that this was going to be a real test against Jared Witts, who I, I reckon is the best Ruckman in, in the competition right now. Certainly the best tap Ruckman. Um, and we spoke about how it was going to be a big test for the suite against a massive step up in, in caliber and quality in terms of wits. And I remarked at halftime that I thought sweet had played the best zero possession half of football that I've ever seen. 
And in hindsight, it might have sounded a bit sarcastic or might have read a bit sarcastic, but I was I was serious about that. I thought he did a tremendous job at keeping Wits in check. I think the hit out count at halftime was 20 to 17 in favor of uh, in favor of Wits. In terms of the head-to-head, I think in the overall hit out count. We may well have been in front at at halftime. I, I can't quite remember. I didn't have didn't jot down those particular numbers. And Wits got on top a bit more of Sweet in the in the second half, and particularly in the last quarter, which I thought had a, had a very good last quarter. But what I liked about Wits, uh, sorry, what I liked about Sweet, and this is a really really encouraging sign. Only one bulldog had more tackles than him over the course of the game. That's that is a nice little bright spot. Let me. I want to see that now, actually. So McNeil, McNeil had seven tackles. He led the way for the Bulldogs. Uh-huh. Dunkley, Trelaw, and Sweet each had six. And then Bontempelli with five. That's very interesting. Riley West with four. And Norton with four as well. Do you think that makes a, potentially makes a, a mockery of the idea that we're maybe not defensively set up as much? Or maybe more chasing tail, seeing as... Dunkley Trelaw was six and Bontempelli five, you know, being our key mids. I think that might have something to do with it too. Uh, that's not six, a... six on six six on stoppages concede, but they're still very high on the tackle count there. So it shows that they're actually defensively on, but maybe not at the start of the stoppage, perhaps. I that's, wonder. Not, that's not how I, I've I've looked at that. I've looked at that as thinking about the the type of ruckman that have been given games under Luke Beveridge as opposed to the type of Ruckman who haven't. And if you want to go way back to 2015, we can we can sort of rattle off the, the names of Bulldogs who have been given prolonged stints in the Ruck out of choice Red rather than, than out of necessity. Uh, oh, I think of Ace Cordy. I think of uh, Jordan Roughhead, Tom Boyd. Lin Jong. Uh, Lin, <laughs> Lin Jong. Uh, and, and Stefan Martin, Jackson Trengove in, in recent years. And now, and now Tim English. And what all and of Bailey those, Williams. We can't forget Bailey Williams too. And what all of those genuine legitimate ruckmen have in common is that they remain alive after the ruck contest. When you compare those type of when you compare those type of ruckmen to the likes of Will Minson and, and Tom Campbell, who weren't necessarily remaining in the hunt after that initial ruck contest, these ruckmen that succeed and are given games under beverage actually remain alive. And I think that's one of the drawbacks with Jordan Sweat. And one of the things that we've said, well, this is likely to hold him back. He's sort of one of those ruckmen that is all right when it comes to winning the hit out. But once that is over, what does he actually add in terms of the rest of the contest? Six tackles is a really encouraging sign because it shows that he is still in the hunt. And he got one of, one of those tackles was from a, a ball up that resulted in, in a free kick for holding the ball. And then he's, he's <laughs> it's scary for a ruckman to do it the best of times, but he ended up switching the play and kicking it. I think it might've been to O'Brien or, or Dale across half back. If it's the Dale, that's perfectly fine. If it was to O'Brien and he's the one that's distributing the ball, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, man. I was, uh, I was, I was, I was really encouraged by Sweet's performance. I think he only... 70, 75% on the ground, which let's have a look. If, this, if these numbers are going to come up for me. It is the was the fourth lowest, only higher than Karmas, Cordy, and Cleary. West was, of course, the next with 77. And ironically, Adam Trelaw with 78. Everyone else was above 80. And Bailey Smith just pumping it up here, 91% on the ground, and Dale 90 as well. So they're elite runners in that sense. 
think da- I think uh, Smith played hundred percent of the first half. I don't think he. I don't think yeah, he took right. a break in the first half. Yeah. Hmm. Just as a side note. No, that's amazing. That's brilliant. Still, even ninety percent in a whole game is incredible. So, what did what did you think? Of, what did you think of of Sweet Skin though? I did like you, it. I won't deny you, it. I won't deny that at all. Is there still enough more to, to be convinced by? Well, you're coming up against a very good ruckman in, in Jared Witts, and you've got to give him a pass mark in that regard. I think it's not an incredible performance because it's probably a performance that we're not used to seeing from our rucks where they can physically match it with the opposition. And then you know, around the ground, that's what we expect. But the actual physical stoppage itself was, was broken even, wasn't it? Now, yeah. what was it? These particular numbers here. So let's have a squiz. 76 ruck contests between Sweets and Wits. 24 to 38, the hitouts. Eight of those, eight and 13 of those were to advantage. So that's a pretty break even relatively in that sense. You know, effectively, they're both going at, you know, every three hitouts is going to the advantage of a teammate. Okay, for, for Wits and for Sweet. Then it's just up to your midfielders to, you know, say who's the ball better and what they can achieve with it. Um, Remember, he's, a, he's, a, he's a guy that's in his, his – this is just his seventh game, sweet. Mm. So we're not talking about someone who's who's played 70 games now and we're still waiting for him to take that next step and hasn't yet, like we've often spoken about with other players in the past. And some of those players are actually finally starting to, to show that now, the spike. The spike. We're not waiting for the spike from sweet. Not yes. No, we're not, just, not after no, we're seven games. To, we're just wanting to see something. And we have seen something in this time. Was he now six and one in our team? That doesn't mean sweet is the reason for all the success. Clearly, we just want to pump him up a little bit more here. But I found it very interesting. I posted you some numbers, didn't I, uh, on the Saturday in regards to the scores we had, didn't we? You, you did. featuring. Or now from sweet not set. featuring, rather. Or for sweet not featuring, actually. That's a very good point. Can you get... Are you able to find those? I might be able to see if I can get those up too somewhere. Yeah, so um, I'm going to have a look at those. In terms of sweet versus wits, so I mentioned, of course, the hit-out count, 24 to 38, 8 to advantage, 13 for wits. We were plus 12 in the clearances with sweet there, 32 to 20. And we were plus three, or plus three goals, that is, in, well, in stoppages, 6-3-39 to 3-3-21 which is actually more akin probably to what would happen in a normal game. So it says, of course, when Sweet wasn't there, that unfortunately the second ruck option was copying it. And effectively, it's not by much because, you know, uh, Sweet ended up conceding what? Uh, 21 points to Wits in stoppages and effectively Cordy did the same thing to Mabia Troll and Wits. He's not a ruckman, obviously. But it gave up the exact same scoring opportunities as Sweet did. But here's the, here's the positive thing. Cordy still somehow was able to help us acquire 20 points whilst featuring in those ruck contests. But this is the benefit of having a proper ruckman, isn't it, now? Yeah. Sweet's able so- to make that gap. Instead of being at 20 versus 21, I'm talking score, that is. Sweet's able to get like a you know, plus or three or four goal advantage on that, or at least allow the mids to be able to, to break even. And we know that if our mids are given half a chance, their natural caliber will generally shine right through. If they're given a chance to succeed, instead of having to fight tooth and nail and 
exert themselves above what they need to, don't they? And speaking of three to four goal advantage, I've got those numbers up now. Uh, uh, amidst a myriad of uh, messages about the, uh, I don't know if you've heard Nick, but there was a there was an election on uh, very recently, so I've had to scour no, past all scour past all of those <laughs> to get to these numbers. Uh, I wonder how many of those were memes. I'll tell you, <laughs> so many memes. <laughs> so between and, and you didn't you didn't have the exact minutes here, but that's okay. Um, so the scores from when end of, end of the third quarter. So. So from quarters one to three, when Sweet was off the ground, Bulldogs kick one seven thirteen, Gold Coast five five thirty five, and that's a difference of twenty two points. Mm. That is that a big number swing. again. There's a big swing right there, comparison to the plus. I'm talking only specifically Wits versus Sweet, and that was plus eighteen. Now if I get Sweet versus Chol, uh, it looked like there was no actual scoreboard influence in that particular. That particular contest, just both of them were just going at it. There's only probably like two or two or three ruck contests in that one. Yeah, only three ruck contests. So we're not even going to count the troll versus sweet job. No. Um, just wasn't worthy. It's not. Uh, you can't really work off those particular sets of numbers. Too small to, to work off. But it is encouraging. He held his own very much against against wits. Now it's not saying that there you go. Here's another A grader, but it's it's a good platform to work off. And I'd be very excited to see how we could roll this two ruck setup. People will complain about the idea of us not playing two rucks. I tend to think we've seen us play two rucks in certain games where we've, where we've genuinely needed to at times, at least over the last couple of years, or from 2021 more so, when we've been afforded the opportunity to actually have decent ruckmen. And I'd like to see us go with it. I think the sweet English pairing can properly work. It just depends on who's more willing to, you know, play more ruck time. And seeing as English is going to be returning from a, what was it? I've got, what did he do actually? Uh, well, he was, he get, he, well, he did the hamstring firstly, and then that's he the was out ill. And that's right. So this will give him potentially not only some support, but some time to be able to ease back into the system. You know, give him another week or two to be able to, to find his pace in the game, as well as it allows Sweet with some additional ruck support. So he might be able to run out a game better and not have the low 70% type match. He might be able to push himself to 80% if he's doing less, you know, physical duels. It's a it's a lovely flow and effect, and it might work quite well to our advantage here. And I'm hopeful of seeing it. So there's one question that we've got from at Jezdog78. Uh, who asks who, who asks about the idea of, of a ruck combination? And he says, fair to say English's best position is in the ruck. He's been the most dominant around the ground as opposed to being a forward. Does that leave Sweet out of the side? He does note as well that uh, it was, I think it was four disposals and zero marks again on the weekend. He offers little outside of the ruck. Would would you, and I sort of suppose this is part of the problem. I know we've been asking for two rucks for, for a long time, but I think you need at least one of those rucks to be able to offer something else around the ground. And English can as a forward, but English would prefer to play as a number one ruck. So can you uh, see... What does the team need, though? Yeah. Can you see a scenario where Sweet and English are playing in the same side this weekend? I genuinely... Sorry. I'm just eating a sandwich here, everyone. So sorry for that. Um, <laughs> I genuinely... I'm on the lunch break. I've got to enjoy. Yep. Um, I genuinely think so. But you're right, because we brought this up maybe eight weeks ago, didn't we? where we discuss English with his priority of wanting to be a ruckman, but what does the team specifically need at that point in time? 
we were all talking about give Sweet a go or, or bring back Martin, you know. And Sweet, of course, in recent weeks has um, been injured and then he had that little bout of COVID as well. So that would have you know, put him under a bit of duress too. And we've all been wondering, well, what the heck's going on here? And it's, it's a difference, I think, because we know English is very good up forward. And that's a position where he can probably have his best impact. They help him. But it's starting to change now, isn't it? They help. Then they, and, and you were sort of touching on the point that they'd help each other if they both mm-hmm. play in the same that's side. That's what I want to see. Especially given, as you say, if Sweet's got COVID and English has got the flu, who lost a couple of who apparently lost a couple of kilos, and the, the frustrating part about that is it took him took him six years to put on those kilos, and he's kind of lost them in a couple of days, <laughs> well, <laughs> which is it's a little bit mean, but it's a, it's a little oh, bit funny as well. He's channeling his inner spindle shanks. That's what yeah. he's doing at this point. But I, I think it had helped both of them in terms of being able to contribute to the side and also physically being able to work their way back to, to full um, match fitness. Worth noting as well, these two have only ever played in the same side once before. How did we go in that game? Which match was that one? Uh, that yeah, <laughs> no, that was the Melbourne one. The first Melbourne Oh, one. no. Oh, God, yeah. that was that was a meme-worthy game. Yeah. I can't think of something that really do. He gave a fresh air. He kicked in the sweet that time, I think. Yeah, and I, think he, I think he fell over as well. In That's the, the, the one. Attempt. Anyway. He wasn't too bad against Scorn that night, actually. He wasn't, but uh, we, we barely saw. We never saw him again that year. Uh, let's talk about. Let's talk about the the man. Press red for red. V- vote one, Ed Richards. I love it. I've just clicked on his stats right now for this particular season. This is this, this is it. We this is what the election should have been. How many redheads can you have in a team? As many as you like, if they play like Ed Richards, this is what we need. We are in the midst, Nick, of the spike. Of talk about the spike. I, I've I've adopted the spike. This is this is my theory now. No one can take this off me. I've adopted the spike and we're in the midst of it with Tim English and Ed Richards now. Two first round draft picks. Beautiful volleyball reference here, but it's perfect. It does fit. The tall, skinny blonde and the and the medium-sized redhead. What a combination. Yes, watch, watch out for the redhead. Yep. Oh, this is gorgeous. No, he's, he's really come along, hasn't he? 20 disposals. What happens when you play a halfback as a halfback? 20 disposals. I think it was 13 intercepts. It was maybe it was a Oh, no, I've got to, I've got to That's check. Right. I'll get now. that. You, you keep talking. You keep talking. I'm going to find those. Yeah, thirteen intercepts, eight intercept marks, which is an equal club record. Brian Lake did it twice. Eason Wood and and Chris Grant each managed that feat once. He's the only player that's probably not what you would call a key position top. And not that not that Wood is, but Wood at least has had opportunities to strangely enough play as that role. Uh, yes, you were right before with the what was it? Thirteen intercept, uh, eleven or whatever it was. 13 intercept possessions. He's got 95% disposal efficiency. We like this. Nine contested, so it's not like he's getting the cheap ball. You know, 45% of his touches were still, you know, hard-earned. That's very nice. He's like five score involvements, four contested marks. He even had a clearance to boot while he's at it, and four of those inside 50 as well. So he's not only working very hard down the ground too, when he's had the chance to float forward, which we very much like with our halfbacks to, to be aggressive. He was able to deliver the ball inside 52, wasn't he? Yep. He was. That's a pretty complete game. This this rise of Richards is made all the more remarkable by the fact that we spoke at the start of the season about the back line, or the half back line, as, as it were. 
And really our attention was focused on, on who's on the outer that might be able to find their way in. And, and the first name that come to, came to mind was Hayden Crozier. And we said, look, Crozier's a very good player and his best is definitely good enough to be in the best 22. But it's such a tough backline to crack into. I mean, there's Caleb Daniel, Bailey Dale, Bailey Williams, Taylor Jaray, the list goes on. Heck, even, even Richard's form now, and as well as Dale's, have effectively you know, pushed Williams higher up the ground. Yeah. But Richards was... And he had, he had the spot his own last year as well. But we spoke about Crozier, but Richards was even further behind. He was another rung behind. So he's been able to overtake those on, on the cusp, and he's now overtaken those in the actual side itself. Mm-hmm. What's he had now? Nine, seven, nine, and 11. So it's 20, 27. 36 marks the last four weeks. Only once has he dipped below 20 touches, which was 19. So just... Ruining that multi there, Ed. Um, what else has he got here? He's, 10 running bounces, and he's had three, four, eight contested marks. When the heck has he ever taken eight contested marks in a season? He has not. Probably not. His ta- it, it, my God, it took him. Jesus. I'm just looking at it here. One, two, three, four, seven. Yeah, 17. In, before he was playing down back, up until like round four this year, he'd taken 10 contested marks in his entire career. He's taken eight in the past four weeks. <laughs> and the thing with Richards, and I've, I think I've made the point about this in the past, I've always been critical of his marking technique as well. He sort of, in the, in the way he sort of positioned his hands to take, to take overhead marks in particular, his hands have come straight up rather than come from, from behind and, and come to the football. And sort of come at the football. So that's improved a lot as well. Because that that was that was one of the I think that was one of the real things that was holding him back was that I, I thought he wasn't as great an aerialist as what he could have been, but that's clearly changed. 16 intercept marks in the past five weeks, I think it is. He's fourth in the competition. That will do nicely. This is one heck of a transformation and the fact is, look, it's, it's amazing how we've gone with our half-backs now. You know, in the last four years or so, we've each had, or not we ourselves, um, there's been a, a massive spike, hasn't there, from from number of our rebounding defenders. Yeah. Daniel, Dale, Williams, now Richards. You factor in a couple of other players that in the past, at least, not that they're on our list anymore, but you know how Wood was able to transform himself into a very, very good intercepting player. You factor in... Gardner's improvement, you factor in... I think Bob Murphy took his game to, a, to another level. I think Murphy Bob Murphy took his game to another level. Yep. Yep. Boyd, yeah, brilliant. And, and Jeray too, he was handy player at the Hawks. He was better early on in his time at the Hawks, and then he started to slow down. But his return to, you know, some very, very high-caliber football with us, it seems a very safe position to be able to get back into touch, doesn't it? Or to be able to build yourself into, into some good form. So from Richards to... Other parts of the back line, because I did want to touch on this because it sort of went a bit under the radar, a little bit under the radar. This was the first time that we'd seen the Keith Gardner-O'Brien combination in, in effect. And we hadn't seen it before for circumstances outside of the club's control, injuries to, uh, to O'Brien and then Keith and then O'Brien again. So this is dolls and curses and all these blinking things stopping it from happening. So this was the first time we, we got to see it. What did you make of it? What did you think of it? I'm a fan of, and I've always been a fan of the idea of having 
you know, two tools down back, two up front, as long as, and if there's a third, they've got to be, you know, on either side, they've got to be a very specific type of player that fits that mesh. And it's interesting to see that it's clear, you know, pretty clear cut now to work out that obviously keepers number one, Gardner is a very, very handy number, very handy second defender, isn't he now? Um, can O'Brien work best as a third? That's probably where his best football will come for us. I think as long as he's not kicking the ball, he's doing a very fine job. Or hand-passing the ball. Hand-passing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh. I'll tell you, if, if we had an opposition goal tally for goal assists, he'd be leading the count, I think, in his respective matches this year. So but he's a, doing okay, I think. There's only... I'm, there's I'm, only... But there's only three things wrong with his cricket at the moment, batting, bowling, and fielding. Only three. <laughs> oh, God, it's like saying, oh, you got bowled, which some got taken out, off, middle, and leg. That's what happened yeah. right there, for Christ's sake. So, yeah. awesome. Just, just hamper. Yeah, I think someone said in the, I think someone said under the, under the question time post, as long as he can stop hand-passing it to opponents in the, in the goal square, that'll, that'll go <laughs> a long, long way to, that'll go a long way to improving his game. <laughs> oh, God. I can't get over this seriously. It's it's a great thing. Where oh, it's oh, well, it. if we lost oh, by a kick, seriously. maybe we wouldn't be finding it so funny. But um... no, but it's still I can't. I'd be crying, but I'd still be laughing at the same time because it's just hilarious. But, oh. but can it can it work? I mean, we spoke about Ed Richards, and Re- I think we brought in O'Brien to play that sort of role of Eastern Wood. But really, it's Richards is oh. doing that at the moment. It is. They're both redheads too, isn't it? So it's yeah. really. Oh, God, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to reenact Hawthorne 2008. Instead of getting six million left footers, we're bringing in all the redheads at the, in the club. Um, <laughs> what else is there? No, you're right. That's a very good pickup, though, because Richards has effectively... So what does that mean for O'Brien, he's, he's replaced. He's replaced Wood. He's effectively replaced Williams from doing that role, though, more so. Um, and he's good one-on-one. But what does O'Brien need to do? Well, he's not one that's necessarily always going to... He's not one that seems to be one that would kill the contest, isn't he? That seems to be Gardner's role, doesn't it? Let Keith wrestle, let Gardner kill the contest, and let O'Brien, let O'Brien fly. Yeah, that is what the hope is. But so, if we're going with just two defenders, then I think we're pretty well set on who those two might be, aren't we? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's still Keith and, and Gardner are still the the one two. I've just got it here. So O'Brien with two intercept marks, none for Garner or, or Keith, which was actually a little bit interesting. Uh, Garner with 11 spoils, uh-huh. O'Brien and Keith each with three. And in terms of intercepts, uh, O'Brien had four, Keith and Gar- uh, Keith had three, uh, Garner had two. Interesting here, Luke Cleary had two intercept marks and seven intercept possessions. Slotted in pretty well, Luke Cleary, actually. Yes, even if he, even if it um, isn't able to say hold his spot, you know, down the stretch of the season, we've probably seen enough of him, much like we did with, um, for instance, Cody Whiteman in mid twenty twenty to say there's enough to work with. We know what's going to be. Forget yeah. the you know the, the little errors that they have in the game, but yeah, we can we can mesh this into what we want. Same thing too we- with, and I, and I I'm going to bring it back a good few years, uh, twenty fifteen. Um, when Toby McLean had his, you know, his first four games, and I was blinking impressed by them, saying like, even if he doesn't play for the rest, he's shown enough. So, Cleary, there's there's plenty to mould 
There's a good base. It's a very, very fine base. Even if he drops off drastically, the fact is, I said, if you're early on in your career and you're able to show at least good signs of what you project to be, even if it's meshed in with a couple of, you know, shocking hand passes or whatever it is you want to call it, um, you definitely focus more on what the player can achieve than what he hasn't been able to. Because you've seen that the scope is actually pretty good. You, you're big on spike. I'm big on scope. He doesn't. So, he doesn't look like a second gamer. I think that's the biggest compliment no, you can all. give him. Hmm. He, he does yeah. not look out of place at all. And no, what? He, he looks like a third gamer from the Saturday night. No. <laughs> and and what uh, Cleary and O'Brien and, and Richards have done is they've sort of forced Bailey Williams to find another spot. What a massive! I brought up that, I brought a, up that spot last week. What a uh, massive shot in the arm. This must be for for Bailey Williams, who we spoke about, who, who we think we, we, we suspect is well down on confidence, and he's had a great game. He had a, a really very, good, very good game. game. Like a, no, this is not just a, it was an all right game. This was actually a really good game. Hmm. And, and he, a very quick match too, as well. So it's plenty happening as in that fashion. Um, I mean, I think he even I, got a. If I've got it right, he even got a. He even got a couple of the coaches' votes as well. He got two coaches' votes. Hmm. What about this? Now, when we've brought up our midfield in the past, we've always thought it's going to be either, you know, I actually mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, actually, who the pairings are for the respective players. Um, but we're going to put that aside, though. But, you know, we've got those fellas there, and we've always had Hunter on the wing, and we've never had a dedicated right wing, exactly. It's either just been one of our mids. In this case, it has been Bailey Scoma. Smith in the past. Or Scomo or whoever gets Scomo. <laughs> right wing. Right, yeah. right wing, yeah, sure. <laughs> Great, we're getting political on this show. Oh, man. Um, Wouldn't be the first but it's time. it's interesting. It would not be the first time. We've brought a lot of things back on this show. Um, no, but look, we've had other footballs feature on that right wing, but none that's completely made it their own, okay? We've always rotated that side. Hunter's, you know, got the left whenever the heck he returns, and please return soon as long as everything's in order. Mm-hmm. But... There is that spot right there because the team has been playing with a lot of different wing options recently. Rourke Smith, McComb, and McNeil. So not exactly what you would still call as caliber players, but all those that have that pure creativity or, or top top end talent or the ability to, to show top end talent. And it's nice to see that you're getting those types of footballs like a Williams that can actually flaunt it on that right wing there, which which suits what a right wing needs to be. They are, they are very, very creative up the ground. And when Hunter returns, they've got a very, very good defensive wingman who doubles back. It's a nice pairing, provided so you, it. So you think, Will, you think Williams on the wing is something, something that can work? I think it probably can work because he's not the worst defender in that sense, even though he doesn't you know, probably defend on the wing, but he can, if he has to, for certain situations. The defense is working in, in that fashion with, with the players we've got down there. They're still going to bring back Jeray. Um, I don't know how it's going to be, too, because he can mark, he can actually mark the ball as well, too. Because look, we've had Dale used to play on the wing. Daniel used to feature on the wing you know, for brief patches in the past. And we've had Richards feature on the wing about three or so years ago, too, for small bursts. But as in, none of them have actually ever English. made the spot. They're English on the wing. Here we go. Yes, of course. English <laughs> on the wing when he debuted there. If, oh, God. 
Unbelievable. Imagine, imagine if we had Karmas there. Oh, the Buku bus. The Buku bus. All right. Um, no, I, I think it could genuinely work too because he's a great deliverer of the ball. And that's the thing is too, he's willing to pull the trigger. It's a bit different with, say, I don't know, we've thought about having Daniel probably feature higher up onto the ground too. But to me, it wouldn't be on a wing. It'd have to be as a half forward, but he's not exactly a pressure type forward. So, and the, and the style of kicks that they have too, Williams is very low and flat, isn't it? But it yeah. gets a lot of distance when he goes for it. Daniel's more, you know, cutting the angles and a lot more precise, but, you know, it's more 15 to 25. Williams is generally 35 and on. Yeah. So a bit more territory. When you're on those particular parts of the ground, it might be more important to, you know, get the ball in and put the, the opposition defence under, under pressure straight away. Now we've actually got some tools or some competent players that come after the ball. There's every opportunity that they that they can do it. But just finally, before we get to the the fan Q and A and some of the some of the off field housekeeping, Aaron Norton down the other end kicked three goals. Looked like it was going to tear the game apart. And Luke Beveridge had some very interesting comments to make post match in terms of. Thing, uh, in terms of being passive aggressive about saying that there was something that was holding back Norton in the second half, but it wasn't an injury. And it wasn't anything that was that was out of the, the Bulldogs' control in terms of a in terms of a medical sense. And some people have leapt to the, the conclusion that it must be that it was something that Sam Collins was was doing in, in the second half. Now, whether you want to go through the the behind the goal vision or not, um is is up to you and decide whether you think certain free kicks are, are there or or not. There's two there's two things to this. Firstly, this is a problem, Nick, that, that you and I have noticed for years with the trade yes, we've, we've got some good graphics on it in 2020. I remember you we were yeah. discussing it after the um it was the Geelong game. Blink and Geelong, yeah, the Blink and I, Geelong game. I showed you six instances in the first quarter, just the first quarter of the match, where he should have received a free kick and he didn't. Now that's just one incident, and honestly, it got so ridiculous that that I, I gave up after a couple of weeks. I tell you, mate, we are we genuinely live up to our name. I think as the salty border, we seriously do. And then, and it's a and thing. and Beveridge has received criticism actually because he has been um, accused of. Well, I don't know if "accused" is the right word, but people of people in the in the media have sort of said, "Look, if you've got something to say." Just say it. And this was this, this, this is 10 weeks after he did exactly that and got heavily criticized for it. Hmm. So can you imagine if Beveridge had have come out and, and said exactly what he thought about the Norton v. Collins um, battle? Do you reckon people will have been saying, oh, good on him for speaking his mind and good on him for being honest? No. Not a chance. No, you know what I think they would have been focusing on? The idea that apparently we're one club that shouldn't be whinging about particular free oh, kicks. Oh, yeah, that'll be, that, that'll, be, that'll be the other one as well. But it'll be, oh, how dare Luke Beveridge say that about another player? You know, he's he's mentally unfit to coach this young group of men still. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. if it was... If it was Chris Fagan, I think everyone would get behind it. It's not that I'm against, I'm not against Fagan. I'm just stating if it was him, it would be more... You know, yeah. receptive to it, perhaps. But I just, I just think people were criticising him for 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 being honest and for speaking his mind, and now ten weeks later they're telling him that he should speak his mind. 
can't win with some people. And I'm no beverage apologist. Let's be very clear about that. I'm no beverage apologist, but I think this is this is it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Let's get to some of these questions. Let's knock them off real quick, Nick, because I know your lunch break uh, is no, about we're, to... Uh, we've, got, we've got another little bit. We can work this out. Let's have a bit of fun. All right, beautiful. A little bit of time. Here's one from, uh, from Mitch Wynn. This is a real quick one. Uh, e. Richards, three votes. We touched on this a little earlier. Do you like give him the three, three votes? votes. I, I think I started off the episode saying all my things, three votes or whatever it was for him. But look, he should get a minimum. He should at least feature in the votes. I said I'd give him all six just for the hell of it. But he was very good. He was very, very fine. And you mentioned, of course, Bontempelli might have had more moments, but Ed Richards had, you know, probably just as many critical stages. Bond did things where we needed him to do so. Ed Richards was able to fill up the hole and be able to take some very, very good instant marks. Not the ones, you know, we just see players walk across the front and and grace in there. There's a bit of contact and there's a lot of guts and courage in those ones too. So I'd like to see him at least get one. I think he probably will poll two. At least that's what I'd be thinking and that's what I'd be pushing for. Dr. Jason Seuss asks, is Steph Martin done with the preferred options of English and sweet? Well, I, I think he's break glass in case of emergency now. I don't know if you think the mm. same, Nick, but um, I, I think I, I think sweet's jumped the queue. Oh, I don't even have to break the glass. The glass is well and truly shattered as far as I'm concerned. There's nothing, there's nothing left, unfortunately, for big Steph. But, um, yeah, we'll see how he can come back and be amended for those side of things. But, no, it's uh, – I'm sure – what do we can say? Is surely there's a Simpsons reference for this – for sweet, I wonder. Yeah, we'll get to it later. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but no, I'd like to – I'm not going to do it. No, I'd say, yes, it's going to have to be sweet, though. But – He's a very handy second, yeah. and he still, of course, has another year to go into contract um, following West Coast interest last year. But, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I said earlier in the episode to see how both those two, English and Sweet, compare together. Here's one that I, I find interesting from Grant. Grant's actually asked a few questions. Uh, one about betting, one about Supercoach, and one about, one about the actual football. Uh, I like it. I'll, I'll touch on the Supercoach one briefly. I don't know if you're on that, Nick, this year, but... Uh, do we chase Liam Jones for next year? If not, which defender do we chase? Now, he's put out Griffin Logue as a, as a possible suggestion. We know the Bulldogs are on the hunt for a key defender. Will Liam Jones be someone you'd be tempted by? It's interesting, too, because this brings up the discussion I was talking to you about before. What do we need, a key defender, or do we need a you know lockdown? I think Jones we need a lockdown. I think we need a lockdown more size. I remember writing, I remember writing articles last year and even the year before saying the small forward has been our blinking fiend for a number of years and it's returned. Um, what can I say here? Do we need a Jones? He would only effectively be an upgrade on uh, O'Brien, I think, as well as Ricardo, but more so O'Brien. But no, I don't think we need another intercepting intercepting type. But the thing is. He's got incredible closing speed and he was lost one of the, I think he was, I think he had the lowest one-on-one losing percentage yeah. competition last year. So it'd be very interesting to see. The thing is, it's just, how is it going to work? It'd be 32 when the season starts as well, which is um, worth putting out there as well with Jones. He's perfect. He's ripe age for Geelong, I think. But um, 
Nah. Uh, and no, I wouldn't be against it. I would not be against it. But it just depends on the list spots and allocation of, of resources. If he's a free hit, go for it. One from another one from, from Grant in relation to the super coach. Which dogs players should I bring in? I currently have Bontempelli, McRae, Dunkley, and Buku. And so I'm just going to go through quickly the players I've got on my side, Nick. I don't know if you've if you're if you're on board this year. So I've got uh, Bontempelli, McRae, Dunkley, Trelaw. And Ed Richards. I've had Ed Richards Yay. all season on the on, on the field. He rewarded me with a season high 121 on the weekend. Good on you. Ed. So what's what's his uh, what's his projected value? What's he going at now? So he's he's priced at 428 at the moment. He's he's gone up 166 thousand dollars over the course of the year. Ed Richards. That's interesting. I People thought that who, base might have been a bit higher than I would have thought, but yeah, that'll do. All right. And I've got uh, Cleary and McComb on the bench as well. Um, so right, they'd be, so they'd be my recommendations. Uh, which dogs players should he bring in? Um, okay, that's a... God, well, we've, we've pumped up Ed Richards enough. Might, might as well throw him. Well, if English is coming back... There's, that's the main one. That's he might be another He right might there. be another one to, to, to consider as well. And yeah, actually, Libba is a forward. Is he a dual position player? He is, yeah. He can, yeah, yeah, he is. He can be picked as a, he can be picked as a forward. I'm pretty yeah, sure, Libba. He's a lovely. Stick with the DPPs, I think. Uh, one more here. This is an Instagram one from Nick Snowden. With the season progressing, should we be getting nervous that key players have still not signed on? I guess it depends on which key players you're referring to there. If you're looking at sweets. And Daniel, I'd say no. I think those deals are uh, sweet, done. Sweet still has another. Sweet still has oh, sorry. Did I say sweet? I meant English. Sorry. Uh, English and oh, yeah, English and no. English and Daniel. The one I'm Gale concerned has about. Had conversations. He's had a lot of conversations. I'm Very concerned pleasing. about Dunkley though, because every time it's brought up, we keep hearing, "Yeah, it's all right. There's no rush." And, you know, it just we're not actually hearing it that anything's actually getting done. We're just hearing that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm happy at the club, but, you know, there's, there's no rush. We're, you know, we're taking our time. And, and the longer he keeps saying that, the more worried I get that we're getting to a stage in the season where if these talks don't start soon, then they may not start at all. I don't know if that's if that's occurred to you, Nick, but that's something that's just crossed no, my mind. When when that question came to me, I thought, well, well, hang on. I mean, I'm not worried about a whole heap of players, but Dunkley is one that that um yeah that does concern me a bit. But the fact is, who would he go to as well? You know, you've got to be a Essendon. Not going to be smart. Yeah, well, Essendon. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> What they're going to hand over? They wouldn't hand over two firsts, and they're going to hand over pick three or something. Yeah. Well, well, hey, that'd be that'd be more to do so. Who says no? Yeah, exactly. Denver Granger Barras for Jamara Uglehagen or Hagan. Corns. And uh, and just just finally, um, before we got to let you go here, two quick things. Um, Five players a test to return this week, so we could play host to a to a constellation of stars returning. Uh, Tim English. Likely to come back. Cody Wayman in with a chance. Uh, Taylor Taylor Jurey, uh, Mitch Wallace with that foot, and Jason Johannesson may well finally play some form of football with that that uh, two week calf injury that's kept him out for two and a half months. So good <laughs> on him. So there could be a big influx of players to return this week. And and just finally, I want to keep on touch of this as well. The club membership 
as well now as of uh, the 24th of May. That's at 48,640. So it's slowly, slowly creeping up towards that 50,000 mark. So if you're not a member, get on board. It's a chance to be part of something very special here when we, uh, when we break 50,000 and win the premiership this year. It'll be uh, really good stuff. That's going to do us for another week at the Salty Bulldog. Of course, your favorite unofficial Western Bulldogs podcast and the number one ranked uh, Australian-based American football podcast. I'm like, as well. <laughs> I had a look at that last week too. I, I still can't get over that. We're judged as an American football podcast. How does that even happen? Don't quite know how that's happened, but we'll we'll take the accolade. Nick, I want to thank you for for joining us again. It's a pleasure having you during your lunch break. As always, we're going to let you go back and, and continue on with your day job. Thank you. That, that always good fun. It is obviously obviously it's obviously a lot better after a win, and now we've got two wins in a row. Let's make it three. Uh, this Saturday, isn't it? This Saturday let's night against the Eagles. Yeah, let's do it. It's time for time for a bit of revenge, I think. I'll just smack them, please. <laughs> Come on. Uh, so for all those who uh, love their Australian or American football and want to listen to the Salty Bulldog podcast, you can do so uh, through wherever you get your good podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's also the free live app via Sportsmate as well. Make sure to download that uh, through either the App Store or the Google Play Store and check out the Salty Bulldog in the Podcasts tab. And there's our social media channels, as always, Twitter at the Salty Bulldog, Facebook, the Salty Bulldog, Instagram, the.salty.bulldog, and our website, www.thesaltybulldog.wixsite.com forward slash home. Nicolay has been with myself, Matthew Donald. We look forward to having you join us again next week. But until then, take care.